Good morning. I'm going to pull out my cheat sheet for a minute. We've got a few few announcements. Um, today, the ministry surveys are due. Um, and we, and uh, so make sure you get those in. Make sure that we know where it is that you want to serve. Um, it's important that we do that. Um, they're in your bulletin. They're online. And... All right, and then next week we have a youth parent meeting right after church, and then we're going to have a church uh, car wash uh, youth camp uh, this year. The deposit for each student is going to be due a little early. That's September 12th, so we're going to go ahead and get a little bit of fundraisers in place so that that's ready to go. Um, But thank you so much. This is my fourth Sunday here. Um, I've been here a month. I appreciate all the kindness that you showed to me. Finally, my family is here with me, so Katrina... Make sure everybody knows where you are. I've got to embarrass her. Got to do it. So uh, this morning, we're going to be reading through uh, 1 John chapter 1, the first 10 verses. If you'll stand with me, please, as we read. So it says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which is with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Let's pray this morning. Dear Father, thank you for this chance that we have to uh, be here together, to have fellowship with one another, and to uh, be in your word, to learn more about you and how to best follow you. pray that you would open our ears and our hearts to what you would have to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So, I don't know about you, but oftentimes when you are the, the new person in town or at a job or at a school or at a church, people typically have one of three reactions. Either they come up and they want to know everything about you right away. I mean, it's just unrelenting. And that's okay, but it's just blatant enthusiasm. And then sometimes people just want to come up and they want to shake your hand. And then they want to leave as soon as possible to avoid any awkwardness, right? And then sometimes there's always those people who stand back a little bit and watch everybody else introduce themselves, and they try and get a gauge on who you are before they risk going up to meet you. And that's okay. We all fall into one of those three categories. Admittedly, I tend to be the more observant type when I encounter people. You see, people intrigue me. We're all wildly different. Even individuals within the same families can vary a lot. And honestly, God has made me the new guy in a lot of places these last few years. 
um, between school and churches and the storm that we went through. Um, and every time I think that I've seen everything, he always puts a new family or a new person in my midst that says, just tells me, God, you are so creative. There's so much more out there than I ever thought. But you see, God has not only made us unique in who we are and in how we operate, but in spite of that, he's also created us in our differences to live in fellowship with each other, not just casual relationships, but he's called us to be a family, a real organic family connected by faith and by fellowship. So that's what we're going to look at. Uh, we're reading from John's letter to the churches of Asia Minor. Uh, most people agree that he was living in Ephesus around this time. And he was a very old man. He was already the last living apostle and disciple of Jesus. He wrote it to them and, and by extension to us to give us a firm grasp of what it means to live in proper fellowship with God and with each other in the church and then with the outside world. And so he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. So what's been around from the beginning? So he's actually referencing his gospel of John here in which he says the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John says that he doesn't just have the truth, but he has experienced the truth for himself. He saw it. He touched it. He experienced Jesus and Jesus' message firsthand, and it changed his life. And that is what he is proclaiming here in this letter. You see, people already at this time, just a few years after Jesus, were already trying to take the message of Jesus away from the person and the Godhood of Jesus. They were already trying to make him who they wanted him to be. Maybe just another good man. Maybe a prophet. Maybe. They were trying to make him something else than the Son of God who died for our sins. And these lies have been spread and passed around for thousands of years now. But we cannot separate Christ from his godhood and from his message. Because without Christ being 100% God and 100% man, there is no atonement for sin. Without his message, his sacrifice would have been in vain. And we would have no way to understand the significance and the importance of that sacrifice. Without that one core foundational belief that we have as Christians, the rest of the Bible starts to crumble. That's where it starts. And so Jesus would no longer be the way, the truth, and the life. He would just be one way to eternal life, which is what the world would have us believe. They want to dilute it. So this verse demonstrates for us, too, how evangelism and discipleship ought to work in our local church and how we ought to do it. John says he heard the word, and he looked at it. He touched it. It was tangible. And, and so how does that relate to us? Well, we should be in relationship with the people that God has put into our lives. John was in relationship with Jesus. And he used that relationship and the rest of his relationships in his life to reach people. It was real here and it was real there. It was real all the time. And so 
we should be loving the people that God has put into our lives in relationship. We should be loving them as Christ loves them and not hiding our faith from them. John could not help but tell them about what he believed because it was a real, tangible experience. He got excited about it. And so that worked into every relationship that he had. So they should hear us talking about what Jesus has not just done for us, but done for us personally. If it's not personal, they can hear a TV evangelist tell them. But if it's personal, it's real. And they should see us living out the things we claim to believe in. It's one thing to say, Jesus is my Savior, but it's another thing for people in the outside world to look at us and know instantly there is something different. They're living out what they believe, and it's not just words. And so just as John expressed how he tangibly has experienced Jesus personally, so should we. So it's one thing to give someone a tract. It's one thing to tell someone a memorized message of evangelism and apologetics. Maybe we heard from Ravi Zacharias on the radio or something. But it's a very different thing to personally connect and relate to someone and allow God to use that relationship to personally connect us and them to himself. It doesn't necessarily take a crusade to bring someone to Jesus. It doesn't necessarily take summer camp, although God uses those things to great effect. But the road for an individual to come to salvation starts way before then. Most of us, it starts when we see God's people loving each other and loving the world the way he told us to. Because then it doesn't stay theoretical. It becomes real. They see the Holy Spirit working in us. They see God's word pouring out through us, and they can't help but make a decision based off of that. By us living as Christ lived, they can't ignore it. They have to make a decision right then about who they believe Jesus is. They have to. And you know, most people will never seriously read their Bible, but everyone you know is reading the Christian that they know. It starts with our lives and then our words. They have to see that it's real. So in verse 2, he says, The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. He continues on here with excitement. He says, we do this so that our joy would be made complete. John is telling you these things because he says, I experienced them. They changed my life, and I want you to share this excitement with me. Our relationship with Jesus should excite us so much that we should be spreading the joy of God's forgiveness to the people around us. If that's not happening naturally, something else could be there. So much so that we can't help but mentor the less mature believers that we know and be seeking out the more mature believers to be doing the same for us. Our relationship with God brings us to a point of always seeking to get a deeper understanding of who he is and of our role in the world. But here's the key here. If the sin in our life could be getting in the way of our relationship, 
it's easy then to see why our priorities are getting messed up. We have, we've all experienced or seen others experience the tragedy of having broken relationships with the people legally related to us. Whether it's siblings who haven't spoken in years, if it's spouses who don't get along anymore, if it's children who cause trouble in the home or who have left home and never returned, we've seen these issues all around us. They're real. And God does not want us to have that same kind of relationship with him. He wants a close, real, daily relationship. He wants to be number one in our lives. And so John is underlining to us in this letter what it looks like to have a proper relationship with God and the joy that that brings and its positive effect on our relationship and fellowship with other believers. These verses and really the whole letter here are given to us to provide assurance and encouragement to believers in their walk with God. So if you're unsure how you're doing, read this book. It's short. And that's his whole point here. Give his word serious thought and prayer. Verse 5 says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Okay, so God is light. Okay, with God, the light is so bright, there isn't even a shadow. He illuminates everything in perfect light, and he desires for us also to be living in that light. So what does light do? It reveals. God only deals in authenticity and reality, and so should we. We've all been there when in the middle of the night you get up, you got to use the bathroom, and you think, I know the way, Right? It only takes a few feet and you round a corner, your pinky toe finds it, and you think, I should have turned on that light. It happens to me all the time. It makes that trip way more memorable than I really wanted it to be and wakes me right up. But to walk in the light is to walk in the light that God desires for us, to be within his will. And a great number of people are really, really caught up in what is the specific will for God's uh, God's will for my life. But that's like trying to run a race without having trained for it in the first place. Have you ever suddenly decided to get back into shape? Depending on how long it's been since you've actually exercised, it could take days and weeks of brutal pain before your muscles decide to start working with you instead of against you. And it's kind of like that with our relationship with God. If we're obedient, to having a daily walk with God by leading a life that we are not afraid of having other people see into, then God is going to lead us into the life that he desires for us to live. It will seem like a natural progression of our relationship with him. Becoming a mature Christian is going to take baby steps. It's going to take work. Your flesh, your body is going to work against you at first. But as we learn and as we grow and we're doing the things that the board tells us to do basics, then God will entrust more to us as we can handle it. And his specific will become apparent. But it takes obedience and diligence to get there. Verse 6 says, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, 
and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we tell each other, and if we tell all the world around us that we are Christians living out our faith and walking in the light, but instead we're actually walking in disobedience to God, we're doing ourselves a great disservice, we're doing our church a great disservice, and we're doing the faith that we all believe in a disservice. And we all struggle here because sin has a way of creeping up on us and using our weaknesses to trip us up with temptation. But if we're living in a way that we are not afraid to be transparent and accountable to each other, we're living out this principle of actual fellowship as John is describing it. And see, in America, we have this this thing where we feel the need to make ourselves presentable when we interact with other people and hide the troubles that we have. We are actually culturally taught to isolate ourselves and deal with our issues in private. But God created us to live in community, to be a family. Sharing in each other's lives is, is more than just coming together on a Sunday morning. It's more than just a barbecue every now and then. Although those are great things, great chances for fellowship, but it should be deeper than that. We should be building trust with each other so that we can keep ourselves accountable to one another. And we should do it in a way that we are not afraid of the people around us ostracizing, slandering, or gossiping about us. There should be some, some trust there. This is the core of what it means to be walking in the light, to have proper fellowship one another, and then to be cleansed through our sins by the blood of Jesus. So like Adam and Eve, though, we sometimes go before God and before each other, and, and we pretend like everything is okay. Everything's fine. When we're actually falling apart at the seams, or living in blatant disobedience. And, and God knows where we're at. We can't hide from him. He knew where Adam and Eve were hiding. And he knows what we're trying to keep hidden. But he desires for us to walk in the light. To bring our sins and sorrows to him. And give him the trust that he's war earned. God's word says in Psalms 103 that he will cast our sin as far as the east is from the west. He desires for us to walk in the light with each other, giving grace to one another, mentoring, guiding, and continuously praying for one another. This is fellowship. This is what it means to love one another. When the world sees this kind of church family, they can't help but take notice. This is what makes us different. But it's hard to live in this kind of community, especially in this age of technology when it's so easy to isolate ourselves and keep people at arm's length. It feels safer almost to hide behind Facebook instead of interacting with people physically. The people that God has put around us for one of three, one of three reasons. We either mentor them, they mentor us, or God's put them in our life to share our faith with them. Words or actions. In a recent uh, journal of applied uh, biobehavioral research, it's really big, all right, published back in January, they found that most people who spend a significant amount of time on social media every day are more likely to be suffering from major depression disorder. They looked at 500 Americans for this study, and they found that they became addicted to social media because they were trying to find worth in themselves 
by making connections with other people online. And they were instead more likely to think less of themselves the more time they spent online because of the false images they see of everyone else. Let's face it, social media, and especially Facebook, people put on a show. We deliberately only show other people our best moments, and we hide the ugly. And it creates this false reality. In the last few years, a hashtag has become very popular on Instagram and Facebook entitled, Live Your Best Life. At first glance, it seems to be innocuous and even positive, but if you just take three seconds to search it, you'll see shot after shot of stunning landscapes, beautiful beaches, plants in bloom, perfect interiors of big houses, goddess bowls, avocados, third wave coffee shops, the list goes on. These posts are tagged, live your best life, because people appear to believe that drinking a $10 kale smoothie is the key to living life at its fullest. When in reality, it's the key to a life of, of fulfillment that is only lived on Instagram. And when we subject ourselves to this false reality promoted by social media at large, we are confronted by the fact that we don't measure up to this. Then we start to covet, and we ache for that perfect life that everyone else online seems to have. For many people, it's the beginning of real depression, and the, the, our automatic reaction is to fill that void with materialistic things, with materialistic goals, to present our own false image online. And when we turn to these websites and apps for our self-esteem and worth, it's no wonder we start to think and actually believe that our life stinks because the story we get is that everyone is better, prettier, and smarter than us. This is a false sense of fellowship for millions of people, and it highlights the opposite of what the Apostle John is trying to teach us. To live in fellowship with one another is to be in real community to be accountable to each other and extending grace through the bad times, to encourage each other through the good times. The key to living our best life has already been given to us by God's word and the Holy Spirit speaking to us and leading us on a daily basis. God has greater things in store for us than just keeping up with the next person online. But unfortunately, our culture is still shifting towards isolating the individual from the people that surround them. Did you know that isolation is actually the number one trigger for people with addiction? But our culture is pushing this mentality that to be online is to be in community. But yet to be online at the expense of those physical relationships that God created us for is to be isolated. Being online also has this strange thing that it seems to eliminate our compassion for our fellow person. Have you noticed that? We say and we post things to people that we would never say in person, period. And it only serves to further isolate us from other people. You know, I'm not saying that social media is bad. I use it myself. It has its merits. In fact, it can be a great thing if used wisely if we know what it is. But we're human, and we're Americans, and we don't do anything in moderation. It's just who we are. 
So John goes on and he says, my dear children, I write this to you that you will not sin. If anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. None of us have it all together. But concerning sin and temptation, I like the phrase, if you're fighting, you're winning. And it's better to fight as a church through the power of the Holy Spirit to work together in truth and in love, like it says in John 13, 35. To build each other up and to win souls to Christ. To live in the light and not in the shadows. To offer the same grace to each other that Christ died to give us. And frankly, when the world sees us, whether they believe as we do or not, they should be able to tell that we're not fake people pretending to believe in a religion, but authentic followers of Jesus to loving each other as he did. Matthew 7:18 talks about how we can discern whether or not we are accomplishing the task that God has set before us. And it's by looking at their results. The passage says that a good tree cannot produce bad fruit. And likewise, a bad tree will not produce good fruit. And Luke 6.45 has a similar teaching saying, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. What we say and do is directly affected by the intentions and the condition of our heart. The thing is, God did not create us to go it alone. He didn't create us to battle privately and then publicly act like we're winning. He gave us each other to lean on. We all have inward struggles with sin, and we all have struggles because of sin from other people. But if we grasp this teaching of living in the light and extending grace to one another, then we're going to be functioning as God intended for the church to function. And the world will see it. They're going to want a piece of that because they don't have it. To have a family and a world that promotes isolation is really something special, and it's something that can only come from God. At this time, I'm going to have Eric come up. Let's just bow our heads in prayer. If you need to use the altar this morning, we've got the, the TV stands or the, the front row here. If you come this morning searching for a church family, I can't think of one better. If you've come looking for answers, I encourage you, bring your questions to God and give him your prayers and concerns. And if you haven't yet taken the first step by receiving salvation through Jesus as your Savior, Savior from your sins, then I'm available during this time or, or, or after service, and I'll pray with you. Dear Father, thank you for this chance that, that we've had to look into your word. Thank you for being an example to us and a light to us. The love that you show us is, is greater than we can ever imagine, God. And I pray that it would change us and that you would allow us as a church family to continuously grow closer together and to be a light in this community that needs it. Pray that our 
If there's anyone here with the need of you, that they would come and, and find you here, God. <laughs>